Calcium today is June 9th, 2019. The title of today's sermon is Elevate. 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 Come on, we have been a busy church, not just with the physical property here, not just with the things that we're trying to do to be faithful stewards of what God has given us, but we're advancing the kingdom in every way. Baby showers, discipleship helps, home meetings at the Browns, preparations for the Lentons, impending nuptials. Nuptials. Not to mention all the Bible studies at work, at home. I've seen parents out with their kids in different places just reading the Word of God with them. I've actually witnessed it with my own eyes. I've seen parents instructing their children in the deep things of the Lord, and it is something that's beautiful. Words that are given to each other as a normal, everyday part of what we do as a church. Man, this is a time of harvest here at this church. We'll say in every service, beginning of this year, the Lord gave us a word about harvest, about prosperity, prosperity of marriages, prosperity of babies. That's coming true. See, we expanded that whole room just for kids to run around in. But you know, we can't stop it just there. We're expecting a harvest of souls in the name of Jesus. This is just the beginning of harvest. The first fruits of what God is doing in our midst. Pastor Eric and Jennifer and Abby are in Crystal Lake, Illinois. They're at the Rising Church today, uh, which is one of our fellow uh, One Association brother churches. Not sister churches, brother churches. The Brassos, Buddy, Kim, Julia, as well as the Vincents, Brent, Teresa, Abby, Zoe, Branch, Luke, Lily, and Britton. And I'm sure there's many more kids somewhere in there with the Vincent family. All these guys send their warmest regards and love to each of you as their own extended family members. Isn't it good to be in the family of God? But we can travel halfway across the world to Indonesia and worshiping with the Vincents is just like standing here worshiping with you. What a special day today is. Not only is it Shavuot, not only is it a festival of weeks in the Hebrew calendar, it's also a baptism today. Today, after service... We're going to get and watch people get water baptized. As we're, going to, we're going to talk more about that after service, and we're going to do a lot of things with that. But I want to encourage you. This is a special day. There's not just going to be a singular baptism that happens today. Oh, you can get baptized in water today. That'll be after service. We're going to do it outside, in public, with nothing comfortable about it. Amen. Because that's the way you should do it. Out in public, with nothing that you're seeking for comfort. Today, you're going to have an opportunity If you are here in this place and you have not accepted, if you have not found Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to get a chance to be baptized in His blood today. You're going to get a chance to be baptized in the Holy Spirit today. And you're going to get a chance to be baptized in water today. That's a pretty special day. That is a pretty special day that we have here. In this time of harvest, a time of reaping, the seed that has been sown. You realize that where we are today, it didn't just magically happen, right? There was a lot of seed that has been sown in this house. There's a lot of toil and faithful labor that has gone on year after year after year after year. A lifetime of service for some people. Today is going to be carried out in a such a way that it's going to be very special for each of us. Let's examine what the Lord has for you and for me today. Turn with us to Deuteronomy chapter 16 as we get started. Deuteronomy 16, we'll start in verse 10. Then celebrate the feast of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice. Oh, that was kind of lame. Everybody say rejoice. rejoice. Yes. Rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your men servants, maidservants, the Levites in your towns, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully every one of these decrees. The Feast of Weeks is known as Shavuot in Hebrew. It's what the Gentiles called Pentecost, with a little bit of a country accent. Pentecost. More commonly and betterly known as Shavuot. So in verse 11, there begins to be a mandate of who this festival is for. And let's look at the list again. You. Everybody say you. You. 
your sons and daughters. So we're expanding outside just you, right? Your, man, your men servants and maid servants. The Levites in your towns and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Is anyone excluded from participating in this feast? No. Sometimes all means all, right? <laughs> well, this is God's heart in the matter. That he is declaring a festival that is to be repeated every year in which all Israel would come and celebrate in Jerusalem, the place that he chose for the dwelling of his name. And who was invited to this celebration in Jerusalem? It was all. I mean, sometimes the Word does such a good job making sure you have absolutely no excuse to disregard your responsibility to respond to His presence. Amen. The law is designed to incline our hearts. So let's look at this further in verse 6, 16. Yeah, let's look in Deuteronomy 16, 16. Nick opened up the service today and he mentioned this three times a year, all your men. Come on, somebody say all your men. All <laughs> must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, which is Shavuot, and the Feast of Tabernacles. There were three times a year that no matter where you lived in Israel, you were supposed to come and find Jerusalem and find the place that God had called for his name to dwell. And you were supposed to take yourself and your family there. You were supposed to go there. Somebody say there. There. Come on, where is there? There is where God's presence is. Yes. That's where you want to go. I want to go there. Yeah, I surely do. We must go there today in this place. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Hold out your hands for a second. No man, no woman, no person should appear before the Lord with nothing to offer. Now see what an unusual thought for us to have, isn't it? Most people come to church... And at least nowadays, we're talking about uh, expecting to get something from the churches that we go to. I mean, goodness knows on a, on a Pasach, on Passover, on Easter, we got to bribe people with TVs and car giveaways to get people to come into church. See, we wanna, we're expecting to give you something. You know what the Lord says? You should not appear in the house of the Lord. You should not appear on a day like Shavuot without something to give. Amen. Wow. That's a good word. What did you bring today? What did you bring to give to the house of the Lord today? Now, we're not talking about just your tithes and offerings. Of course. You know, we put it over to the side. We don't pass a basket. You know why? Because we expect you to give to the Lord. It's right over there on the side. You're welcome to use it, but that's not what we're asking for. What we're asking for today is what else have you brought to the Lord? What else are you bringing to the Lord? Are you coming to the Lord empty-handed because you're not supposed to? No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you, listen to this, must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So are your gifts that you are bringing to the Lord, are they in proportion to how much God has blessed you? See, we don't think about things like this. This is why the Word of God and us getting to these parts of the Hebrew calendar are such a blessing for us in this room. They're so important for us. Are you giving gifts to the Lord in proportion? Anybody in this place ever been blessed before? Yes. See, now you're, some of y'all are like, you see if I, oh, I don't know. Yes, we've been blessed before, but are your gifts in proportion to the blessing? Are you giving in the proportion? See, I've been given a whole lot in my life. I've been given a, an incredible church to serve. I've been given an incredible family. I have a lot to be thankful for. What does that mean about what I'm supposed to be bringing in my hands? It's supposed to be a lot. I have to give everything that I have. I'm joyfully giving in one because he has done something in me and I want to give back in proportion to what he's given. How, how are your proportions today? How is what you're given? The idea that we can ask for your tithes and offerings and you can come to the house of the Lord and just tip him. I mean, goodness knows sometimes we tip the waiters better than, we, than, than some people give to the Lord. You feel stingy if you don't give a waiter 18 or 20 or more percent. And you're lamenting in your heart giving freely the first 10% that the Lord has asked. Now, if you're a server in here, praise God, I hope you have plenty of tips. <laughs> but if I'm tipping you more than I'm giving to God, that is disproportionate to what God has done for my life. I appreciate you putting the plate in front of me. Thank you so much. 
What has, in fact, the Lord done for us that we must respond to today? Man, this is, this is something that's incredible. What do your gifts say about how much the Lord has blessed you? Are you remembering? Pastor read a verse at the end of his passage that said, Remember that you were slaves. See, it talked about the aliens, the foreigners coming in. And it said, remember you were slaves. What an interesting topic. Remember where you came from. You're not there anymore, but you need to remember that. Why? Because if you remember that you're a slave, you know what you start doing? You start overwhelmingly, have overwhelming thankfulness in everything that goes on. Man, I'm free. I am free. There's freedom where the Spirit of God is. I have been set free. See, I remember where I was. I remember being in bondage. I remember not being able to do the things that I hated. And I've been set free. I am no longer a slave, but I'm supposed to remember that I was a slave. Wow. Have we been in such blessing as a church that you've forgotten where you came from? Have you forgotten those difficult days that the Lord has set you free from? And for some of us, it was like three weeks ago. There's things that He continues to set you free from and, and how quickly we forget. I want to give gifts in proportion to what the Lord has done in my life. Amen. Come on. Let's look into the into the writings here. Let's turn to the book of Ruth. Let's look at chapter two. As you're turning there, I want us to review the backdrop of what's happening in Ruth's journey. We have something known as it's the time of the judges, right? It's a time that Israel has God as their king. But during the time of the judges, you have every man doing what is right in his own eyes. During the time of the judges, you have an outcry going out from the land, wanting God's justice to be displayed on earth as it is in heaven. We have a famine that forced a journey. Come on, just like Pastor Wade was talking about that state of slavery that you were in when you first came into Jesus. When you came in contact with God's presence, you felt there was a disparity. There was a famine. You were hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but you didn't know where to find it. You were maybe a foreigner in a foreign place. Come on, I've been up here leading worship, a part of worship for a long time, and I see the people's faces when they come through these doors. In fact, many people skip worship and just arrive in time to be part of the service because they don't want to encounter the reality of God's presence. It magnifies the famine that their spirit is really in and they don't want to do anything about getting fed during that famine. I watched Chris Reasor walk in this place as a slave, as a foreigner, not just naturally, but also spiritually. He's still waiting on his papers. That's all right. We're going to get those papers. Amen. He's got his heavenly papers, though. He's got the seal of the Holy Ghost. I watched him walk in this place, and he stood there enamored, looking around, saying, what is going on? These people are crazy, but I sense something here that is so real. The famine of his spiritual condition was magnified. And you know what he did in the first worship service? He ran down to the front. He's like, okay, I see everybody else going there. I'm going down there and get some too. He came down to the altar, and he was revived and no longer a foreigner, but made something more. A Filipino powerhouse, if you will. Whoa! Hang on! Filipino powerhouse. That kind of rolls out the tongue. Not only was Ruth encountering the time of the judges or a famine that forced her to journey, she had a husband that died. She was a widower. All alone, having to fend for herself in one of the greatest depravities of Israel's history. Then there came a time of harvest. And what it must look like for a Moabitess to cross into the land of Israel and see wheat fields that are flourishing and ready to harvest. She should have gone back home. But she demonstrated an incredible love, an affection, and more importantly, a tenacity. In in chapter 1, we don't have to turn there, but in chapter 1, she begins to reply back to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. She knew what she was going back to if she returned to her homeland. Come on, what a blessed state to be in before you come into Jesus, that you realize that there is no way back to where you came from because it's nothing but death waiting for you there. 
that what lies before you, even though you're a foreigner in a foreign country, is a harvest of righteousness in life. Amen. God, I love Ruth. She's one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite stories and books in the Bible. If you read through it and you don't, your eyes don't become wet with tears, then you're missing out on the beauty that's there. A woman who left everything and should have had a right to return. And she says, I'm choosing not to go back where I'm from. I'd rather stake my entire existence on what I've seen in the people of God. Man. Come on, I wonder where you are today. The Bible says that men and women can be like dogs who return to their own vomit. Those things that make you sick, that are the product of, of you being sick, and we keep returning to them over and over and over and over again. Let's be like Ruth today. Hey, where you go, I will go. Where, where you live is where I'm going to live. Where you die is where I'm going to die. I'm going to stake my life, my very existence on what you have, Naomi. I'm going to stake it all there. And when she could not be dissuaded, Naomi said, come on, let's go. Let's see what that kind of attitude produces in Ruth. And we're going to see the kind of attitude and the benefits that it will produce in us as well. Let's look at Ruth 2.10. Are you there with me? It says, as this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me a foreigner? Somebody say foreigner. Foreigner. A foreigner. I mean, it's almost like if you want to know what love is. I want you to show it too. The Lord can show you. If it ever gets as cold as ice. Oh, yes. You can be hot-blooded. Okay, all right. Uh, That's urgent, brother. If you don't get it, it's okay. I promise. The idea is, is that Ruth starts off here as a foreigner. God, anybody ever felt like a foreigner? Anybody ever felt like you didn't fit in? Goodness. <laughs> all of my DNA says yes. Yeah. One of the things I love most about my church about this church is how ethnically diverse we are. Isn't that a wonderful way to say yes. we got more than just white people here? And that nice, that's a nice way to say it. <laughs> Yesterday, on a scaffolding of, of men that were fixing some parts of our roof for four hours, we had a Colombian, we had a black dude from uh, Port Arthur. Who else did we have? Who else was up there? We had a New Yorker. We had a Rosales. We had a Rosales from New York. I was like, this is the beginning of a bad joke somewhere. Like right here. I love it. It was awesome. I was like, I walked over and took a picture. I was like, this is awesome. Look at this church. But we've all felt like a foreigner. Some literally. Some figuratively of where have you been and you don't feel like you fit in. And this is where Ruth is saying. She's coming and going, look, I've already made my lot here. And the fact that anyone would notice me. The fact that the owner, the master, the kinsman redeemer would see me and pay attention to me at all. Wow, I know that I don't belong and yet I'm getting accepted here. I'm finding a place here. This word for foreigner here is nokreia in the Hebrew. It starts off with this very singular word for foreigner. But this one had something about her that caught the eye of the kinsman redeemer. That total abandonment. That tenacious affection, that love and passion that was there. See, we want to get noticed sometimes, don't you? <laughs> As a father of a son and two girls, you know what I have to make sure of? That my, that my girls are getting the right kind of attention and don't go seeking it in the wrong kind of ways. There's a lot of people, amen, thank you. There's a lot of people who are trying to find the affection. Now, let's not make it about, a, about young girls. Let's talk about you and I here in this place today. Are you wanting to get the affections of heaven, but you haven't had the tenacious, full of passion kind of spirit that Ruth had? This is how to get the attention of the kinsman redeemer. Come on, let's go. I will make my lot where you tell me to go. I will live and die by what you say. This is the kind of thing that begins to awaken the eyes of heaven upon your life. Yeah. Come on, we want the eyes of heaven to be open to you today. This is not a mystery. This is not God just picking some and refusing others. He's seeing what your life actually proves. And even if you're a foreigner, 
you can catch the eye of our kinsman redeemer. Amen? Amen. Turn with us to Leviticus chapter 23. <coughs> Leviticus 23, verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field. Or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. That's a big period on the end of that sentence. I'm the Lord your God. You got to do this. You see, a harvest time is never just for one reaping. Think about this. You own several acres. You're depending on this harvest to supply the needs of your food this season and the seed for the next season. But the Lord requires that you leave the edges and the gleanings of the field for the poor and the alien among you. You know, God's heart is always about the harvest of others. That by that poor and alien coming to pick from those gleanings, they were eating of the kindness and the goodness of God through your obedience. Whenever we submit our heart and our minds to the full obedience of God's word, we are then taking on the call to reap a harvest of souls. That harvest of souls that God has been looking to achieve globally, not just locally. What impact can you have on the lives around you? When you go to work and you've been harvesting in the field of God's labor, praying, interceding, looking for an opportunity to have a word to share with someone else, anywhere that your feet may be. You have it on a three by five index card. You've gone to Pastor Wade and it's like, oh, that's, that's good. Thank you, brother. Uh, but it really didn't fit. You come to me and I say, no, that, that, that's wrong. It, it's horrible. Go away. <laughs> you go to Pastor Eric and he says, that's fantastic, but it still doesn't seem to fit. You go to several others. You know, I'm not sure who exactly this word is for. I've harvested, but it's just still hanging on the vine. Next thing you know, you're standing in line at the grocery store. You're having a conversation at work, and that word is ready to harvest the souls that God has put around you. Those that are poor in spirit and those that are aliens to the kingdom of God. God's instructions are to think about this poor and the foreigner and the alien. If you want to know what love is, the Lord wanted to show them. We can be as cold as ice sometimes, not possessing that fire of the Holy Ghost, or be a long, long way from home. But when we possess the presence of God, we fulfill the call that Jesus himself made to his disciples. And he said, the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. Ask the Lord of of the harvest to raise up workers. I want to be a worker of God's harvest. I want to glean from the edges of the fields, the righteous Gentiles, those that are poor and alien to the kingdom of God. We got to do it. Turn with us to Ruth chapter two in verse 13. Just a few verses from where we were. It says this, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, you've given me comfort and spoken kindly to your servant. See, a few verses before she was viewing herself as a foreigner. Here she says, you're speaking kindly to me as a servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. So what is the word here? The word here is shifra. It is being very polite in the NIV to say that you're speaking kindly to your servant. The word is probably better translated as I am now your slave. See, I moved from a foreigner who had no affiliation with you. And now I'm somewhere in your household, but I have no status. I have the lowest status possible. I am a slave in your house. The household. I'm in the household now. I'm under your provision. I'm under your care, but not much more than that. I'm still feeling like a foreigner. As a matter of fact, the word really points to the idea of a foreign slave. I'm not still one of you yet, but I'm at least in the house. Think about this, church. Isn't that exactly so far the progression that you and I have? We were a foreigner to the things of the Lord. We were outside, far away, not destined to be a part of it. We were cut off from His presence, and yet He found a way. And then we entered into His presence, and what are I am happy to be a slave in the house of the Lord. My goodness, I'm under His provision. 
I'm under his care. You don't have to worry about calling me family yet because I am under where you are. This is what she's saying here. I don't even have the status of your very servant girls. And this is a beautiful picture that we're seeing. She's moved now from a foreigner to a slave. Ruth 3 verse 9. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The word servant here is ama. It means a maidservant or a female slave. It's an elevated position above just being a foreign slave. She's now a slave of a Hebrew. You know, in this room, speaking of diverse backgrounds and and ethnicities, many of you arrived to this country somewhere between the age of 7 and 15. What it must have been like to come to the U.S. the first time, and you didn't know the language. You worked feverishly to get rid of your accent and adopt an American accent. You experienced very similar processes to what we're looking at here with Ruth. You were a foreigner. Then when arriving, you were in a foreign country as a foreigner, but learning the language and willing to do whatever it took to become like an American. And at some point, you were granted citizenship. And you had been elevated to the point of now not only getting rid of an accent of where you came from, but now possessing a citizenship of the United States. How much more we're seeing here within the book of Ruth that she had traveled all this distance and we see her gradually moving up, attaching herself more and more to the nation of Israel and receiving the blessings and benefits of being in covenant with God and with God's people. Look at Ruth chapter four and verse 10. This is Boaz speaking. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife. Come on now, what a beautiful progression to go from a foreigner to a slave to a servant to the very bride of the man in charge. I have this on a slide for you, I think, just so you can see it in one quick place. You can see Ruth's status is being elevated throughout this. And by the way, a lot of the story of Ruth takes place in this time of year at Shavuot. But you see that she was a foreigner. She was beneath a low servant. She was a slave. Then she became a maidservant and then became a wife. Man, can you see how the Lord elevates someone? I'm encouraged today just to think about the elevation process that the God of all creation has set it up and he gave us a beautiful story of Ruth to show us this elevation process. Let me, let me point out something to you while this slide is still on the screen. Are you ever not really a foreigner? You stay a foreigner, but you are treated like family. So you're able to remember those that don't fit in. The truth is, is in the house of God, we want to be a slave to whatever he tells us. Always obedient, never questioning. So we're a foreigner who knows how to serve. We have the eyes of God looking for the world to help us. We have that servant, slave-like mentality that we will work and do everything he asks us to do. But we're doing it because we're joyful. And it makes us worthy to be the very bride of Christ. These are not stages for you to elevate your way through or to, for you to graduate from, rather. But they are that, an elevation process in your life. Yeah. I was a man and then I got married. I became a husband. Then we had children and I became a father. It didn't mean that I left the status of manhood or less the status of husbandry. These things are building. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You're so right. These things are building on top of one another. They're building and elevating your life and your status. You remember what you were. You remember that thought, but what has been happening is you've been transformed. You've been moved to be something more like Christ himself. You've become a worthy bride for the king of all creation. What a status of elevation from a foreigner to a slave to a servant, now to a bride. Let's go to Ruth 4.17. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You mean that Ruth's acceptance into the household of Naomi, because of her tenacity, in turn brought her into the house of the lineage of Israel's greatest king, King David? 
that what God did is that he allowed this foreigner, this widowed foreigner, uh, to elevate to being beneath that of a servant or slave. Then to become a Hebrew servant. Then to become a bride of the lineage of King David himself. Wow. That from her would come a lineage of salvation through Yeshua. Our sacrificial servanthood sets us up to elevate our status just like Ruth. Folks, this doesn't just take place for Ruth. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 5. You're going to see this exact same progression. The story of Ruth through the book of Ruth shows you this, but in one small passage we're going to see how this related to God's people. Deuteronomy 26.5 says this, Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. What, What is the writer saying here? Our forefathers were foreigners. This was not where we started, guys. We started from somewhere else. Look at verse 6. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor in slavery. Verse 7. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and miraculous signs and wonders. They became servants of the one who liberated them. Verse 9, he brought us to the place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of that soil to you, O Lord, that you, O Lord, have given me. This is a status, an elevation from servant to the bride, a bride of Christ here that we will see in later chapters as well. This process not only shows us how Ruth was dealt with, but it's the progression that God's people go through. It's the same process that we will, in fact, go through as well. Let's see God's heart of this in Isaiah 56, starting in verse 6. Say, there when you are there. There you go. Isaiah 56, verse 6. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him. Say, serve Him. Serve Him. To love. Say, love. Love Him. Love the name of the Lord. To worship Him. Say, worship. Worship. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. Though These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That should ring a bell. Number one, in the very beginning, all in the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord. This is Ruth. This is exactly what Ruth did. And by binding herself to the Lord, you see also her obedience to God's commands. And in doing so, her sacrifice would be pleasing and acceptable before the living God. At the very end of this passage, we also hear something reminiscent of Jesus clearing the temple. This is the very thing that he quoted when they were exchanging money and selling sacrificial offerings in the temple area. He cleansed it because the goal of God was to have the availability for foreigners to come into the house of God, to not be an obstruction for their salvation. God's plan has always been to bring the nations into his house. You and I are able to experience salvation and the presence of God right now because his goal has been that since the very beginning. The requirement, though, for ourselves and anyone else that we're sharing this gospel with, because remember we're talking about a harvest of souls, is that they have to first bind themselves to the Lord. You cannot expect the gleanings of God's goodness if you do not begin with first binding yourself to His name and His presence. I mean, think about it. God had provision ready. In Leviticus, He set forth the law that people were to leave the extra gleanings for for the fatherless, for the widows, for the aliens, for the foreigners. What if Ruth would have been somewhere else than committed to what God had for her? She would have missed the entire provision that the Lord long had laid out for her. Generations 
hundreds of years before God had the right answer for her, but where she found the God's provision, where she found the right answer for her life, was in yielding herself fully to God's plan. Come on, there are people in this place today that you need to fully yield to God's plan for it. There are some of you who are definite foreigners in this room, and I don't mean your nationality. I mean that you've left yourself far apart from what the Lord has said. You lament that you don't have what you need. You, you are worried that, uh, about you're seeking all these other things and you have just left yourself as a foreigner, not binding yourself to what God has for you and wondering why God hasn't provided. Of course He's provided for you. But you've got to bind yourself to His plan so that you can participate in the provision that God has for you. Isaiah is referencing here in in verse 7, I will bring you to my holy mountain. Let's go back to an original Shavuot, an original day of Pentecost, and let's see this. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. The Filipino powerhouse, first one to get there. Exodus 19 verse 3, it says this, Then Moses went up to God, wow, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said this, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You ready for it? The Lord has given Moses a message to tell all of the people. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. See, these are people who had they had seen some things, folks. They they had some experience and they saw it. Not only did they see it, but they were personally carried, exalted, elevated, lifted up. On the eagle's wings that God had for them. Verse 5. Now. Somebody say now. Now. Say it again. Say now. 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 Here's what you're going to find out. The Lord is telling him something. You have seen those things. That was what happened in the past. But now. If you obey me fully. Mm. Somebody say if. If. Boy, what a huge, gigantic word right here in this passage. It's only two letters. But it may be the most important word in this passage. If, if you obey me fully, if you have a tenacious spirit about you, if you decide to make your lot with what God has said versus all else, if you do what I'm telling you to do and keep my covenant, not if you feel like it, not if you decide that you want to do this for a little while and try out Christianity, if you obey me fully, if you do these things, then... If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my bride. You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, by the way. Don't you forget it. Don't you forget that it all already belongs to him. You will be for me a kingdom of priests. Wow. Not just a singular priest. I'm going to make the whole group of you into a kingdom a nation of holiness, a kingdom of priests, that's what I'm going to make you into. If. So what happens if you don't yield to the if? You don't get the then. For you to get the then, you've got to do the if. And that is exactly the state that all of us are in. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. God starts off by saying, tell them this. And by the way, make sure you tell them this. He is ingraining this into Moses and into his people. You know, Pastor, the if-then statement is a powerful one. How many times have we either witnessed or experienced staying in our seats either physically during a service or spiritually in our obedience and just waiting for God's reward or his deliverance to fall upon us. Here's what I mean. I'm having, let's say, troubles with an infirmity in my body. And during worship, the Lord begins to move on me to come forward. I don't because my pride doesn't permit me. And I'm expecting, Lord, no, I'm okay. I just kind of have this infirmity in my elbow, my knee, wherever it may be. I just, can you heal me right here? Can you take care of my financial conditions without me actually revealing or exposing to my brothers and sisters how I got there? Can I sit 
in a church service and just be saved right here as I listen to the message, but not actually have to respond and be part of the family of God. We have a responsibility to act upon the ifs so that we can be recipients of the then. What God is speaking here to his nation, a nation that was 400 years or so in slavery in Egypt, said, if you obey me, if you follow me, I'll take you from being a slave to being a nation of priests. One that was a foreigner to the kingdom of God and now being a mediator of the things of God. Let's take that thought and go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You're setting it up good for me, brother. Get it. Like gasoline on a fire. We're just going to burn bright, baby. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, say you. You. Turn to your neighbor and say you. You. You are a chosen people. A what kind of priesthood? Royal. A royal priesthood. You know, some of us have heard of this one card game called poker. And when playing poker, as I have read and heard from others, that you can win with a three of a kind. You can win with a four of a kind. You could even win with a full house. But you know what wins them all? Is a royal flush. You know, God took his people out of Egypt. He transformed them from being slaves into be a kingdom of priests. But now through Jesus, through the order of Melchizedek, he is making us a royal priesthood in the house of God. How much more authority do we have? How much more capability do we have by having the Holy Ghost burn inside of us? Where for them it was just burning above them. Now we have that same presence that was hovering over the Ark of the Covenant now dwelling within us. And from that council of God's presence in the fire of His Word, we can now be mediators of a new covenant. We possess the ability to be a royal priesthood. And here's the if. If you live up to that call, then he will use you as a royal priest. We can't cross our arms and bemoan our condition and say, Pastor hasn't asked me to preach a message. So-and-so hasn't asked me to lay my hands on that person and be healed. So-and-so hasn't asked me to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Why won't God use me? Why won't pastors use me? Are you fulfilling the if so then we can fulfill the then? Peter makes note of the elevated status of God's people. Verse 10. Once you were not a people. Once you were a wild bunch of heathens that didn't know God. (laughs) Worshiping goats and trees. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Say, I've received mercy. I've received mercy. Now we got to do something with it. You and I were born as foreigners to the kingdom of God. His mercy to us is having the ability to elevate our status and become the people of God. Experience we had early on in missions is that we went to Matamoros and we were ministering to the people who were eating out of the city garbage dump. Not only eating, but building their homes in the dump. And when we began to minister to them, they said, we are the people of the dump. But as the gospel began to take root, what we saw is a transformation. They changed their name. They said, we're no longer people of the dump, but we are the people of the Most High God. That same transformation can happen from us, for us. I want to be like the God-fearing Jews in Acts 2. They witnessed an elevation of status. In a room, one-fifth this size, you had 120 believers praying. And interceding for God's presence. His spirit began to fill that room. And they began to erupt in tongues. And from that eruption of tongues of 120 people. 
I can barely understand you guys when you say one word in unison. Imagine us all speaking in tongues and those standing on the outside, God-fearing Jews, begin to hear the wonders of God proclaimed in their own language. There's over 14 languages listed of what was being heard. A transformational understanding in their ears that God was giving the nation's discernment of who he was as the people of God were being filled with his spirit. Come on, what does this mean for us today, church? I'm going to take you back just for a few minutes to what the Lord said to us during our worship time. What kind of fire are we talking about? Many of you have the fire that we're talking about. A fire from heaven. That just like on the day of, of Pentecost chapter 2, just like on another important Shavuot in history, that the Spirit was poured out. Some of you have that. Many of you have that. So what are we asking from you today? We're not asking you to sit back and pretend like you already know it. We're saying, what kind of fire needs to be stoked in you today? What kind of fire, how much do you need to be elevated today? Are you still at a foreigner status? Are you still trying to figure things out? Are you, have you become a slave in the house of God? Well, praise God for that. He is trying to elevate you today. He is trying to increase the fire that you have. That we may burn so brightly that every man and woman and child in this room is impacted by His powerful Spirit today. What does this mean for us? What does the day of Shavuot, what does the day of Pentecost mean for us today? Turn to Acts chapter 2. This is not you skipping the basics. This is you understanding what the Lord has spoken to us. What is He speaking to us today? Acts 2 and verse 29. Say there when you're there. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch, uh uh-oh, the patriarch. You mean the great-grandson of Ruth? Yeah, that's the one. That the great patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of David's descendants, one of Ruth's descendants, on his throne. Seeing what was ahead. Turn to your neighbor and say, seeing what was ahead. Seeing what was ahead. Come on, sometimes you got to get your eyes up. You got to be able to look look ahead and see what was ahead. He spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not going to be abandoned to the grave, nor his body see decay. Are you getting this? The great-grandson of Ruth is saying, I'm looking ahead and I understand about the resurrection. I understand that there's something bigger here. That there is a life and death matter that is on the line. And I'm seeing ahead. God had raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of that fact. Now Peter's taking over the story and saying, yeah, David only foresaw it. We actually saw it. And for us here in this room, we are looking back on it and seeing the mighty impact that those days have had upon us. But what impact are we going to have on the days beyond us? Are we looking ahead? Are we seeing what is to come? Are we understanding this? King David was speaking of the resurrection of the Christ. He was seeing what was ahead. He understood that the Messiah would not be abandoned to the grave. That it wasn't the final status. Look at verse 33. Exalted. Come on, somebody say elevate. Elevate. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And is poured out upon you. The Messiah, because of the death And the resurrection was able to receive the promised Holy Spirit and pour it out on His people. Wow. He poured it out. Isn't that really what we're doing when we get water baptized? Aren't you really just identifying like a Roman 6 would say, you are being buried with Him into death. You are being resurrected with Him. The entire thought of baptism... See, this is why we actually don't want people to get baptized every time we have it. The same person. We're saying that this is such a dramatic change in your life. This is something that is so life-altering because you were once dead in your sin and now you have been resurrected just like the Christ. This is a powerful thing. 
It is a powerful thing what we're going to do here in just a few minutes and give you an opportunity to get relit on fire or to get baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time. Amen. And then we're going to walk outside and real men and real women of God with grown-up, adult, real commitments to God. You're going to walk into the waters of baptism and say, just what happened to Christ, may it happen to me. I will live and I will die just like he did. I will stake my entire existence on the fact of what Jesus Christ did. Pastor, can I get baptized? I don't know. Can you? Is that the commitment that you've got today? Then yes, please get baptized today. See, what happens is we get baptized. Many have gotten baptized at other times in their life. And it wasn't this kind of commitment. I hope I deter some of you from getting baptized today. I hope you really think about it and go, man, are we supposed to? Yes, we love baptism, but we're trying to make this a serious understanding. You know what baptism means? It means you're immersed into something. Well, we're immersed in the water. Yeah, you've dedicated your entire life to be identified with his death. That he died so that you could be resurrected from your sin, from your way of life. Yeah. You were a foreigner and he's bringing you close. Come on. That's what you're identifying with. And this is what he's saying here. That the Holy Spirit might be poured out upon you. Look at verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. Let all the people at LCM be assured of this today. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Both Lord and Christ. Who do you think the you is? Well, Pastor, he was speaking to the Jews. Those Jews. The worst atrocities in the history of mankind have been thought and brought about by that kind of a thought. Yeah, his punishment was on them because they crucified him. And you don't think that you crucified him? You don't think that your life was part of what he was fixing and, and, and rectifying on the cross? You don't think it was you and me? It was them. No, I'm going to actually identify with Christ in his death. This Jesus whom you crucified. When you stay in an unelevated state. When you stay a foreigner when he's trying to bring you close. When you never move beyond the slavery of your former way of life. When you never enter into the servanthood. When you never develop into a spotless bride. Are you not the one crucifying him? Hmm. See, this elevation is not an option for us here today. It is a mandate from the heavens that we must partake in. Look in verse 37, the next verse. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What a foundational scripture. Pastor was talking about baptisms, water baptism, and what exactly it is. It's a response to being transformed. It's a response to experiencing resurrecting power that has put sin under your foot and declaring to the heavenly realms and everybody around you that you are committed for life to serving Jesus. You know, in other countries, you may have some persecution if you convert from any religion to Christianity. Maybe a year in prison. But it's not serious until you experience water baptism. It's at that moment you have let them know I am fully cutting myself off from the religion that I was in and I am fully immersed in Jesus. In many countries that becomes when it, you are, it becomes illegal to become a Christian. Yeah. Not when you say it, but when you actually get baptized and you fully commit to the way of the Lord. We can't rightly respond to baptism if we haven't rightly responded with a cutting of our heart. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've seen lots of baptisms. There's been a handful that were just trying to drown a guilty conscience rather than proclaim a liberty and freedom in Christ. I stood in a Baptist high school and twice a year have a spiritual emphasis week. And people would rush down to the altar to declare a repentant life. They would experience a baptism late that week on a Friday, and by Saturday, Saturday night, they were doing the exact same things they were doing before they ever came down to the altar. 
Water cannot wash away a guilty conscience. Only the blood of Jesus can. But what water can do, it can be an outward sign of a full, wholehearted commitment to the King of Kings. 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Elevating your status starts with repentance and being baptized and washed of your sins. Elevating your status is receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the infilling and outpouring of His presence. It's time to get to repent and get baptized. Either get baptized in water or get baptized in His Holy Ghost. If being head over heels in love with Jesus is foreign to you, repent of your idolatrous lifestyle and get water baptized today. Experience that resurrection power that transforms the inner man. If you've been born again from birth, water baptized, sinless since the day that you entered this world, it's time to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why should you wait? What's the reason for delay? He said this promise, or the promise is for you, your children. For all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise he is speaking of is the one that was found in our first scripture in Deuteronomy 16, 11, That everyone being included into the Feast of Weeks. No one is being denied the opportunity to elevate their status this morning. Come on, it's time to get elevated in this place today. Micah chapter 3 verse 8 says this, But as for me, I am filled with power. With the Spirit of the Lord. Now, you guys are familiar with that passage. But I want you to think for a second. Can you identify? Can you say like Micah today? As for me. I don't know about you, but as for me, I am filled with the power of the heavens. Completely overflowing with His power. This is what we are supposed to be active in. This is what we were supposed to be yearning for. There are people, I believe, that the Lord is stirring your your yearning for His very Spirit in this place today. That what you had yesterday is not enough for today. That what you were satisfied with last week is not enough, Josiah. you got to get some more. you got to be filled, just like what Micah says here. It's to be filled with His death. It's to be filled with His resurrection. It is to be filled with His power in this place today. That is the only goal that we have. The only thing that we're going after is your salvation, is your resurrection power that God may operate in you, that He might fill you with this power today. It's time to get elevated by getting filled with His presence here. Our hearts cry for you is found in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. I'll read it to you. But if I say I will not mention Him or speak any more in His name, His word in my heart, Like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I pray this morning as we begin to worship, as we begin to respond to this message, that we take action and not just sit there and inwardly burn and be tormented by a call to engage the presence of God. I pray that we are stirred and it's like fire shut up inside your bones. You can't sit still. You can't hold it in. Yeah, yeah. That tongues begin to erupt because the Holy Ghost is stirring you so much. That you fall on your face in repentance because your sin is crushing you. And you can't even stand up on your two feet. I want the presence of God not just to fill this building. I want it to fill the people of God in the building this morning. Amen. Turn with us to our last passage here in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and we're going to start in verse 14. For he himself, for he himself is our peace, our shalom, the right order of our lives, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh 
The law with its commandments and regulations. God has ordered us. He himself is our peace. He has elevated us by getting us in the right order with him that he might cause us to rise up. Keep going in verse 15. His purpose. Somebody say his purpose. His purpose. Well, don't you want to find out? That should pique your interest. His purpose. God's purpose. The one who, who has elevated us. The one who's getting us in right order. His purpose was to create in himself one man from the two. Amen. See, there's no longer the distinction in the heavenly realm between the original, the Jews, and, and those who have accepted Christ. We are one body now. We are one. We are one. We didn't replace them. We didn't kick them out. We are one with them. One man out of two, thus making peace. This was the plan. This was his purpose the whole time. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Man, well, there is one body of Christ. There's not some division there. There's no separation between foreigner and family when you're in the body of Christ. It is only the family. It is only the body that, that God has. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you. Who were far away and peace to those who were near. Come on. Can you hear that? Yeah. Those of you who were foreigners or maybe you were slaves, maybe you were servants. He is preaching peace to both those who are far off today in this place. And to those of you who are already near. Yeah. It's almost like this passage is preaching to every single person in this room. Amen. If you're far away, he's talking to you. Yes, we're talking to you. If you're close, yes, we're talking to you. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Amen. See, you can't get to the Father unless you have the Spirit of God that is drawing you, that is ushering you in, that is establishing the right order that you might move from a foreigner through the process of slavery to servants to being very one with the King of Kings. We have access to the Father by this one Spirit. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Let me read this again. Consequently, because of this access, because of this one Spirit, you are no longer foreigners and aliens to the things of God, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Oh, what a membership that is. Has a card with a seal of the Holy Ghost on it. It allows you to have access to the heavenly realms, even the throne of the living God. It is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and elevates to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, being built together, become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Let's begin to elevate and stand to our feet. This access that Jesus has provided gives you the ability to elevate your status in the eyes and presence of God. But what is hindering your ability to be elevated? First, with just a relationship with Jesus? Is it fear? A what if statement? What if I repent and follow Jesus, but I'll lose my reputation? I'll lose my friends. I may even lose my status. Let me ask you a question in response. What if you exchange an earthly status for a heavenly and spiritual status? Because let's be honest, the earthly status that you have achieved isn't really working for you anyway. It's not doing much for you because you're empty and hollow on the inside at the end of every single day. What if I pray to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and I don't receive it? I'll answer with another question. What if you pray for it and are filled in the same way the believers were on Pentecost? What if you're speaking in tongues and you're filled with the same boldness and walking around with supernatural power? having even great miracles happening around you? What if you go through this service and are transformed and spirit-filled? What will your life look like then? So let's throw away the what-if statements that prevent you from elevating your status and take on the what-if statements that do.
As we begin to worship, I want to have two sides of our altar. I want to have this side for those who want to respond to the call of repentance. I want to be free from sin and the chains thereof. They want to be born again, made whole and made right with God. Please don't elevate your status to something that it's really not before God. Don't credit your own deeds with more righteousness than what they deserve. Let there be a sober evaluation of your condition, whether or not you're truly in relationship with the living God. So I'd hate for you to leave this service, have the opportunity, and you not take it. Because you may not ever have an opportunity again to elevate your status. Not because the doors of his altar are not open. Because you've grieved his spirit. And he no longer will move upon you to respond. On this side, I want to open up the altar to elevate your status and get filled with the Holy Ghost. Particularly if you've never experienced it before. And then for those of you who have and need that fresh outpouring. But for those of you who've never experienced the infilling of the Holy Ghost like they did at Shavuot in Jerusalem. You are right with God. You have repented of your sin and your relationship with Him. Come and stand here and let's expect the presence of God to fill you. Let's expect His Spirit to baptize you with fire and speaking in other tongues. We invite God's presence now. As the worship team begins to come up, let's begin to enter into His presence and respond rightly. Mighty God, may our hearts be cut this morning. Cut with conviction. Cut with the ability to respond rightly to your word. We thank you, mighty God. We thank you for your presence. Lord, that makes a distinction. Lord, we thank for your presence. That even demons can't stand in the midst of it. We thank you for your presence that fills us with your fire and your Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus, we call down your presence to fill this room. We call for your presence to fill every believer that hungers and thirsts for you. Let salvation break out in the name of Jesus. Let outpouring of your Holy Ghost fill in the name of Jesus. We love you, mighty God. We love you, mighty God. We invite you in this place.